Hey there, everybody. Before we get into the episode, I just wanted to go ahead and offer the usual disclaimer. As the name would suggest, I'm just an average guy. I'm not a theologian, and I have no Bible degrees of any sort. The topics covered in this podcast are the results of my own study and understanding, and any and all opinions expressed are just that, my own opinions. I encourage everyone listening to treat this not as an end-all be-all for your understanding, but as a jumping-in point for your own study. I hope that the verses and perspectives provided inspire you to cultivate further growth in your spiritual walk. Now with all that out of the way, let's get into the episode. What is up everybody? Welcome back to an average account of exceptional things. My name is Chandler and I'm your host. Thank you for joining us today. Well, you're in for a treat because we have a spicy topic for today's episode. It's something that I think can be a little taboo in certain circles, definitely not discussed too often among believers, and is none other than doubt. So I want to go ahead and start this off in the same way that I always start off these episodes by just defining what doubt is so that we're all on the same page. According to Merriam-Webster, doubt is, as a verb, to call into question the truth of or to be uncertain about. And in many cases, I think it's helpful to realize that doubt often spurs from either long-term trials or from sudden disappointment. Tell me if this sounds familiar. You pray about something over and over, and you feel like nothing's happening, like it's just stagnant. Or, something bad happens, something really bad, you're sorrowful, and you ask yourself, how could God let this happen? Or maybe you even ask yourself, how do I know that God is real if something like this, something so terrible, can happen to someone that seems so innocent and undeserving? The point that I really want to get across is that there's no shame in doubting. Everyone has struggled with doubt at some point. And I would go so far as to say that anyone who claims to have never doubted to some degree or another at any point in their life is almost definitely doing a little fibbing. The truth is, it's something that is natural to us as humans. We're skeptical. And the most important part about dealing with doubt is how you respond. I think it's a pretty common misconception among Christians, particularly those who are young in the faith, that to be a good Christian, you don't ask questions, you don't doubt, you're never hesitant about anything, and that's just simply not true. We're going to get into that a little later, so uh, I will stop my rambling before I give away anything else. But this does kind of lead us into the first question that I want to raise, and that is, is it wrong to doubt? And my response to that is, I would say it isn't about not doubting. Uh, Once again, it's about how you respond when doubts arise. And a little spoiler alert here, the answers that I'm going to give you, my perspectives, uh, it's not to just have more faith and get rid of those doubts. A lot of times you'll hear people reference verses, and it can really easily feel like the answer that people give you is, Well, you just need to have some more faith. That doubt's going to get right out of here. You just need to cut that out. You just need to remove it from your life. Well, that's great. How does that look practically? A lot of times I think that that can be a rather unhelpful answer 
when you're looking for practical ways to combat doubt, to deal with situations where you may be facing some doubt. So the first point that I want to raise when we're addressing whether or not it is wrong to doubt is this. Doubt can be a negative thing. Doubt can separate you from God. It can put a barrier between you and God in your relationship. However, doubt can also be a tool to grow your faith. Without overcoming doubt, a lot of times I think that people's faith can lack a little bit of robustness because God can use that doubt to grow your understanding. And while you search for answers, you may find that you actually draw closer to God than you were originally. So the first group of verses that I want to look at that talks a little bit about this comes out of 1 Peter chapter 3, and it's verses 14 and 15. Here's what it says. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. So real fast, a little bit of context for this verse. By the way, all these verses are coming out of the ESV. That's the English Standard Version for anyone who may want to read along or reference these at a later time. Back to the context. One major theme that you're going to find through 1 Peter is enduring through suffering and persecution. And actually, this particular passage is written to address the idea of suffering for righteousness' sake. So there's a little bit of background on where these verses are coming from. I would highly encourage you to do some reading of your own and get a little more in-depth about that. I think the big takeaway here, in my opinion, is that it's important for a person to know why they believe what they believe so that they can supply the defense described in the verses. When someone asks, hey, why do you believe in God? Or maybe, all right, you believe in God. How do you really know that God is good? How do you know that God loves us? It's important to have answers for those things ready. And if you're listening and you're thinking to yourself, I'm not really sure that if someone asked me that, that I could just tell them, then I would highly encourage you to just take a little bit of time and pray about that and think about that and ask yourself, why do I believe? Why do I choose to put my faith in the things that I put my faith in? A great example of this is actually an experience that I had when I was in high school. I had a friend of mine, and he and I, uh, I don't really talk politics in general because I think it's very divisive, and it's kind of my own personal opinion. Uh, you know, I vote my conscience and everyone should do the same. But I had a friend, he and I were on, I would say, somewhat opposite ends of a political spectrum, if you'd like to say it that way. And he and I often actually talked about politics, and we were great friends. We were very close friends. And the reason that we were able to do that is because we had respect for each other. He and I could both see the value in the fact that each of us knew why we believed what we believed. We had reasons for holding those opinions. And I feel like that's a big part of having that respectful discourse between believers or potentially with someone who is not in the faith, who may be looking into Christianity, who may be open to hearing what you have to say. It carries a lot of weight when you can tell that someone really understands 
what they're putting their trust in and why they're putting their faith in whatever that is. I feel like there's a lot of people out there that hear a particular opinion or belief and they just adopt it as their own and they just repeat it. And you can tell that that opinion, that belief, it's really not that individual's, it's whoever they heard it from. And so part of having an authentic and a true faith is making that decision for yourself. And so when you struggle with doubt, look at it as an opportunity to grow in your faith, not as something necessarily that's going to be a detriment to your faith, because it can be either. And I think that what differentiates between that outcome is how you respond. So I want to go ahead and jump into two different types of doubt when I was looking at this. These two really jumped out at me as two different categories that are sort of distinct, but obviously connected because they're here together in this episode. And the first example is doubting the faith. And by that I mean having doubts about your religious belief about God. One example that I want to talk about as far as what to do when you're struggling with doubt, when you're working through doubt of this nature, is the idea of the bridge analogy. And it kind of goes like this. I don't think this is an original from me, but it's one that I've definitely heard a couple times and that I'm pretty fond of. You walk through the forest, you're coming down the trail, and you come to a river. You got to get across, and you see a bridge. Now, at first, you're going to be a little skeptical as to whether that bridge can really hold you when you walk across. Maybe you don't even take a full step on. Maybe you tap it with your foot. You test it out a little bit, see if it'll hold a little weight, and then you slowly walk across it. Then you come back to that trail day after day, and eventually, you don't even pay it a second thought. You come up to the bridge, you walk right across, because you know this bridge can hold me. No problem. And you know that because the bridge held you yesterday, because it held you last week, because the bridge could support your weight every day for the last three years. And the same is true when dealing with doubts about God, about perhaps God's provision. When you are encountering those doubts, look back and ask yourself, did God carry me through whatever trial I was facing yesterday? Would zoom out. Two weeks. Has God been there with me for two weeks? Can I look back and see evidence of God at work? What about five years? What about ten years? Can you look back and see how time after time God has provided, God has had your back, He's been looking out for you, He's been doing a work in your life? And let that strengthen your faith today. Because just like it's that same bridge that's always supported your weight when you walked across it, it's the same God who's always looked out for you every day of your entire life. Another really great argument or example uh, that can help a lot, I think, when you're dealing with doubt, this is a, another uh, passage that, in my opinion, really helps give a little bit of a unique perspective in addressing doubt. And this actually comes from John chapter 11, and it's going to be verses 32 through 35. Here's what it says. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, 
Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So right off the bat, little fun fact here. There it is, probably the shortest verse in the entire Bible, John chapter 11, verse 35. But a little bit of context here. So this is the story of Lazarus. I think a lot of people are probably pretty familiar with this, but just in case you're not, here's the basics. Jesus learns that his friend Lazarus is sick, and he intentionally delays in coming. When he arrives, Lazarus has been dead for four days. And he sees everyone really torn up about it. And after mourning, they roll away the stone to Lazarus' tomb. Jesus prays to God, and then he calls forth, and he says, Hey, Lazarus, come forth, come out of that grave. And out walks Lazarus, alive and healthy, who was dead for four days. So this is definitely one of the greatest miracles that we witness in the New Testament. And the point that I really want to make here is that the gospel stands apart from anything that we could imagine, particularly when you look at the details. Now, this is not an idea that I can take credit for. I actually heard this in a recent sermon from my pastor, K.J. Pugh, but it's a really great idea and concept, and I thought that it tied in really nicely here, so I wanted to go ahead and share that with everyone. In this story, we see that the hero weeps just before certain victory. I mean, Jesus is God, right? So, clearly, he knows what's about to happen. And yet, when he sees everybody mourning, he is deeply moved, and he weeps. I mean, if this was us, and we were Jesus in this situation, we'd probably be rolling up in there, and we'd say, Hey guys, you know, like, don't even worry about that crying. You can just stop that right now, because everything's all good. We're going to get Lazarus right back out of there. And that's not what happens at all. And if we were to write this story, I cannot imagine that anyone would write it like this. In some regards, it makes no sense. But when you look at it through a gospel lens, it makes perfect sense. And the point that he made and the point that I'm kind of making here is that this happens because God is moved deeply by our mourning. It's because God is a compassionate God. Isn't that just incredible? And isn't it wildly different from anything that we would imagine? And the perspective that I hope to bring as far as tying this back to doubt is this. If the Bible was all a fabrication, if this is something that we created that was man-made, that was completely of our own invention, we wouldn't have written the story like this. I cannot imagine someone writing a story where the hero weeps in the face of certain victory. So consider that when you're reading the gospel. Think about how unique this story is, particularly in the details. And remember that the word of God is just that, God breathed. The next point that I want to make is a little bit different. We're branching away from that a tad bit. Everyone puts their faith in something, particularly when we're looking at doubting the faith, it's really easy to just say, it must be so nice for someone who is not religious, who may be atheist, for instance, because they don't have to have faith. 
I would say that's not really true. Everyone has faith because everyone trusts something. A really good example of this, actually, among believers and non-believers alike, is people relying on money. The idea that your funds or that your own skills and self-reliance will carry you through a situation is completely opposite to the heart that we are called to have, which is putting our faith fully in God. And a lot of times, it's really easy to rely on what we have, on what we can see that's tangible first. But that's not really the response that we're called to have. And the point that I want to make, and tying this back to doubt, is if you find that you're having doubts about God, ask yourself, what alternative are those doubts tempting you to put your faith in? If you're not going to put your faith in God, what are you going to put your faith in? And then do your homework. And I think that what you'll find is whatever your alternative is that you would put your faith in, as opposed to putting your faith in God, it's just not as reliable. And I believe that wholeheartedly, that nothing is going to be more steadfast to carry you through than God. Another point that I want to raise here is hearkening back to something I said at the very beginning, so I hope everyone was paying attention, and that is that a lot of times doubt is tied to your circumstances. Remember I referenced two in particular, those being long-term trials and sudden disappointment, and I would also encourage you, if you are struggling with doubt about the faith, to look at your circumstances, because what you don't want to do is base your belief on your situation. Because if there is one thing that we can rely on, it's that the world around us is constantly changing and that new things occur and develop every day. The example that I'm going to use, and I hope that this isn't too obvious, is that this is like building your life on an ever-shifting foundation. And when I say those words, there's probably someone listening who knows exactly where I'm going. And it's Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. Here we go. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came. And the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. The parallel that I want to draw here is this. Those ever-changing situations in the world around us, they are like sand. And your faith is the house. You don't want to be building your house on sand. And now, tying back into that parallel, you don't want to establish your faith on situations, on circumstances that are always going to be changing. So if there's one piece of advice that I could offer you, if you do find that you're in a tough situation and it's really challenging your faith, is just remember that your top priority in those instances is to make sure that you're putting your house on a firm foundation that is a biblical, gospel-centered foundation. The next aspect of doubt that I want to address is going to be shifting gears a little bit, and it's not so much about doubting the faith 
or doubting God, but it is about doubt in discerning the correct path. What I mean by that is when you ask yourself, am I going the right direction? Is this choice that I'm making putting me where God wants me to go? And the first thing I'm going to say, it's a little bit of shameless self-promotion, but it's honestly helpful, is I would go ahead, and if you've not listened to episode two, I would give that a listen. It's all about wisdom, and wisdom is actually very helpful in discerning what is the correct path. But branching off of that, I would encourage you to first ask yourself if what you're doing is glorifying to God, particularly when you're looking at whether you are in a situation and you're thinking you may need to change gears, or you're confronted with a choice between multiple paths that you could take, ask yourself, is this glorifying to God? And compare it to scripture and see what the word has to say. That's a really easy check you can do. If you have two paths that you could walk down and you see that one in accordance with scripture is not going to be good, it's not going to lead you in the way that God has laid out in his word, then that's a really easy disqualifier because if the other one does, you've got your answer. But I also understand that there are a lot of circumstances where you may find that both of these options are not too bad. Nothing sticks out as being inherently wrong with either choice. Uh, A great example of this would be maybe you feel called to get involved in a new ministry and you've got a few options and you don't know which one is the right one for you. In these circumstances, and again, this is just my advice, but it's proven to be pretty good for me over the years, is to pray and ask God for guidance. That may seem to be low-hanging fruit, but I will offer this. One way that I personally like to pray in a situation like that is to ask God to close a door if it isn't where he would have me to be, or to open a closed door if that's his will. Now, if you're standing in your hallway right now, opening and closing a door over and over and asking yourself what in the world this has to do with doubt and discernment, let me shed a little bit of light on that. Again, this may be obvious to some folks, but what I mean when I say that is that oftentimes I'm not capable of discerning what the correct path is on my own. And so I trust that God will take options off of the table if that's not right, if that's not where I need to be. And also that God is very capable of opening new options to me if that's where I need to be going. And that kind of stems from this idea that you may have heard, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. So ultimately, it's about trusting that God will make a way if he is truly calling you to that particular ministry. I'd like to offer a few closing thoughts before we wrap up the episode. The first is this. When you are faced with doubt, do something about it. Don't just sit idly by. If you want answers, ask God earnestly for those answers and search diligently. Go to people you trust, people who are mature and wise in the faith, whether that is your pastor or another member of church leadership or friend or a family member. Someone that you trust who has the knowledge to be able to help you search for those answers. 
to the questions that you have. Don't be ashamed to ask others questions, to grow your understanding when you're trying to overcome doubt. You can't know something if you never make an effort to learn. And the last thing that I want to say is this. Having a heart oriented towards loving the Lord isn't about perfectly understanding everything, because that's not even possible for our finite little minds. It's just not. What it is about is always wanting to know more. That pretty much wraps up everything that I have about doubt. I hope that something I've said has been helpful in shedding a little bit of light on this topic and just discussing some strategies for how to respond to doubt when you encounter it. This officially concludes Episode 3, Doubt. Like I said at the beginning, I encourage everyone listening to use the topics covered in this episode as a gateway into your own study of God's Word. Hopefully one of the verses mentioned or perspectives offered has inspired you to dig deeper and further your understanding of who God is, and then take that understanding and apply it to your daily walk. With all that said, I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode of An Average Count of Exceptional Things. And until next time, encourage one another, love your enemies, and count your blessings.